Welcome in to another edition of Heat Check. It is Monday, February 1st, and we have a lot to talk about. I think Peyton uh, is going to take a semi-victory lap on the SEC Big 12 Challenge. Um, there were a, a lot of upsets. Uh, Big 10, ACC, Virginia goes down, Iowa goes down, Wisconsin loses to Penn State. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we learned a ton from the Big 12 SEC Challenge. So we're going to go over all of that. But first, I want to give Peyton, I want to give you the opportunity to uh, – Stake your claim. Take your victory lap. Uh, tell us about Greg Sankey and the fellas down south taking down Bullies. Bob Bulls, these boys. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, a lot of stuff broke the SEC's way. There were there were close games throughout, right? And maybe it's not fair for me to do this, um, but, you know, if Cade Cunningham doesn't make a buzzer beater and LSU doesn't absolutely implode instead of looking at this 5-4 could have been even worse, honestly. Um, Oklahoma stepped up in a big way. That was the biggest takeaway. Despite the SEC winning the challenge, and we can talk about what it might mean for them in terms of tournament perception as a league, I think the fact that Oklahoma, without two starters, including their leading scorer, Austin Reeves, beating Alabama, told us some stuff about Oklahoma. They have taught us some stuff about Alabama. I think that is a logical jumping off point. But, yeah, as soon as uh, our friend Dom Stern chimed in, said, Big 12 basketball just means more. I think the SEC rattled off the last three and and won the challenge. I, I believe that's exactly how things went. Um, I will say the SEC gets the win. Texas would have beat Kentucky. It should have yeah, been high. If I'm not allowed to revisionist history – you don't know that Texas was in a situation where they were coming into that game potentially without Courtney Ramey, without Shaka Smart, whole bunch of COVID stuff hanging in the air. They just lost their last game. Kentucky's playing better. I think it's a little rash to just assume that Texas would have won, which is absolutely what I knew you were going to say because that's just a nicer way of painting that picture for you, isn't it? It's an asterisk. It's an asterisk on the SEC winning the challenge. Um, so we're going to uh, that. That's that's where we're at. But let's let's talk about what we learned from the Big Twelve SEC challenge. We can start with what your main takeaway was: the legitimacy of Oklahoma. They beat Alabama sixty six sixty one. It's the third straight win for them over a top ten team, and they are the first team since nineteen seventy four to do that. That was NC State. NC State won the national title that year. So what did you learn about Oklahoma? even more this Saturday um, and where do you see their ceiling going from here as they take on Texas tech tonight? So I, again, I still find myself a little bit perplexed coming away from that game as weird as it sounds. And Nate Oates said something to this effect after the game, the fact that a Alabama looked at Oklahoma as a team that they were better than already. And then B the fact that, you find out before the game, Oklahoma is going to be down two scores that are or two starters, one of which being their leading scorer. Alabama probably didn't take that game as seriously as maybe they should have. And then Oklahoma starts on the 11 to two run and Alabama is having to battle back the entire game. So credit to Oklahoma there. Lon Kruger does a tremendous job coaching this team. We're finally getting to see Brady Manick kind of work back into shape and, and play um, to the level that we figured he would preseason. What I've learned about Oklahoma is that Oklahoma is legitimately good, which I thought coming into this game. I don't know how much I actually learned, though, because I've always been a little bit more skeptical of Alabama than you have. And um, I think without two of their top guys, it's hard to say one way or another what type of team they really are from this one, personally. Um I mean, the team that they are is the first team since 1984 to beat four top 10 teams in a month. So you can't take that away from them. That's the team they are. And that's the team that I thought they were. And that's the team that I know they are after this Alabama game. So I believe both of us are picking Texas Tech to take down Oklahoma tonight in Lubbock. 
But if they're able to win that one, um, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if they do, I do think that the the ceiling for Oklahoma can get better if Brady Manick ends up really working into being himself. Like he was one for five from three in this game. Um, he had 12 points. He scored, I think, eight or nine of them in the second half and and kind of kept distancing OU uh, despite the Alabama run and such. But at the end of the day, this game comes down to Alabama giving up 13 offensive rebounds. They get out-rebounded 42-34. to 34. They turned the ball over 16 times. They shot 35% from three. That's, that's good. They made 10 threes. That's good. John Petty was not good. Herb Jones was not good. When, when John Petty goes nine, nine points. Guess what? Nate Oates also said this. Alabama plays a style that when it's going good and you're making threes, it works. It can also work against you when you don't. And that was always my concern with Alabama. But it wasn't about making or missing threes because they made plenty of threes. They just couldn't, couldn't rebound. And when they, they don't have, when they don't have Jordan Bruner, who I think they announced today is out two to four more weeks with the knee, um, they need that size to rebound and they need to collectively rebound as a unit. I think they tried to do that by putting Keon Ellison over Quinterly for large stretches of the second half. Javon Quinterly only played, I think 13 minutes. He only took one shot, didn't score. Um, That's the, that's the downfall. You were texting me throughout this game. I don't think Alabama is great. And I said, I don't think they're great either. I don't think anyone in college basketball is great aside from Baylor and Gonzaga. We have a bunch of really good teams from three through 12 or three through 15 who on different nights. And that's, that's what we've seen a lot in this big 12 is, is Oklahoma, Texas tech, West Virginia on different nights when they're ranked somewhere between 10 and 15, they can look like a top five, top seven, top eight team. And that's why I think that, there are so many different elite eight contenders in this, in this situation. And I'd be shocked if we end up with the final four, that's not Baylor Gonzaga and just two, two of any assortment of these teams. And it could be Oklahoma and Alabama, both teams I think can be that good, but this was the only situation I think in the big 12 SEC challenge in which one of the worst teams in terms of conference standing beat a better team. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. this is the Big 12's third best or fourth best team, and they beat the SEC's best team, unless you think Tennessee's the best team. I'm not sure. Um, I, I think it's hard to say at this point, and I know that's not a good answer. It'd be better for me to just make, like, a fiery take. Um, but based on what we saw when they played, and Tennessee was a full complement for that game, so they can't really, you know, run from that. Alabama won in a game where Tennessee didn't play their best, but Alabama won and they won in Knoxville. So, I mean, Alabama, yeah, has been the best team in the SEC since conference play began. They've also been really hot from three and they've not turned the ball over that much. And when you play really fast and shoot a lot of threes, the downside is sometimes you may play a little out of control and lose the ball. And sometimes you won't make threes. And I really do think that that's where Alabama's season is hinged and their success so far has indicated that maybe they can do it for six straight games and and win an NCAA tournament. Maybe they're capable of that. They just did it. So why couldn't they against elite competition in the NCAA tournament? It's possible. I just wouldn't bet on it. I wouldn't bet on them getting this hot again. I wouldn't be surprised if they falter a little bit and take a couple losses. Their defense is really good, which makes them a legitimate top 25 team and not a team that's going to like be, very fluctuant um, in their performance night in, night out, and it makes them a team that's going to be able to compete. But I also think it makes them a team that's very vulnerable to performances like this, where if one of two categories doesn't go their way, the turnover battle or the, the three-point shooting, they can get got, and that's what happened. I mean, their defense kept them in this game. I would argue that we saw earlier in this week when they played Kentucky, a game where they didn't shoot the ball well, and they stayed in it because – they did rebound and they did not turn the ball over. So that's I, what, what we're coming down to is there are a lot of teams that we understand. We don't know how Gonzaga or Baylor is going to get beat when one of them gets beat. We know how Villanova gets beat. We've seen what happened to them. We know how an Iowa gets beat. We know how Alabama gets beat. For example, all of these teams, Tennessee, we know what what's wrong with them when they've lost to Florida and they've lost to Alabama and such. Other than those two teams at the top, everyone else, we kind of know exactly what their end 
the end of their NCAA tournament run looks like. We just don't know who's going to do it to them. You know what I mean? So from there, let's go to the second best team in the SEC, in my eyes, Tennessee, beating Kansas 80 to 61, a game where Kansas started one of 16 from three. Tennessee started six of seven from three. The Jayhawks finished six for 24 shooting from three point range. Um, Tennessee finished, I believe, eight of 17 um, or eight of eight of 13 or eight of 15. I forget what the final number was, but where or what did you learn from this game? Because I think the big takeaway is I love this the SEC Big 12 Challenge because it's plopped right in the middle of January and it gives us kind of a, a measuring stick of how conferences stack up and how teams match up um, maybe NCAA tournament time. So we, we learned a ton on Saturday. What did you learn from this game? Well, I, I think what we learned is that Tennessee is a lot better with Springer available. When Jaden Springer plays, Tennessee is a much better basketball team. And I think we have known that. Uh, we've talked about that a lot on this show. I also think that, and, and as much credit as the ghost of Skylar McBee is smiling somewhere, um, back when Bruce Pearl wore the orange jacket and Tennessee took on Kansas in Thompson bowling, however many years ago that was and knocked off, I think a number one Kansas team um, at that point in time with like Wayne Chisholm and that whole team that Tennessee had back then, they deserved the ability to celebrate beating Kansas because they just beat Kansas. And that's a big deal for Tennessee. But I think the biggest story is objectively the fact that this keeps happening to Kansas Teams are making an abnormal amount of three-point shots against them in these games that they've been losing. And it's four from five that they've dropped now, which has to be one of the worst skids in the Bill Self era. I've got all the numbers on it. You watch Kansas a lot more closely than I do. But at this point, do you think this is more so uh, an actual pattern than a fluky thing that's happened in a couple games because this happened with Texas too. No, I definitely think this is fluky. Like I was going to say, one of the questions I, I had for you was, do, do you think Kansas is a bad defensive team? Do you? I think that here are the numbers. I think they're bad at guarding the three, which we know Bill Self defenses try to take away the paint. Now you don't have an elite rim protector this year. So unlike in past years where you could give up those threes, knowing that we're just going to smother you at the rim. We're not going to foul because you don't is going to make up for everything. They don't have that this year. So that's why I think they're really getting hurt by this a lot more this season than they did last year. But Kansas is 263rd nationally in opponent three point percentage right now. Opponents are making 35.4% of their three point attempts. And in all of these losses after the Gonzaga loss, because I throw that one out, because it's Gonzaga. Oddly enough, I was looking, Gonzaga only made like three threes in a game that they scored 100 points in, which is insane. But aside from that, in these five losses, Kansas has allowed the opponent to make at least eight threes, which is just too many. And they're not bad looks. That's why it's not fluky. Teams are making three-point shots that they should make and Kansas doesn't have enough to overcome it against their best competition. And I'm looking at Kansas's resume, a team that's made the tournament 30 straight years, and they're, they're, they will almost certainly make it again this year. But they've only had seeds below the four line in like 5% of those 30 seasons. It, it is very rare, and that's what's going to happen this season. There's no way that – I see, I didn't rank Kansas this week. I just can't – rationalize ranking a team that's dropped four or five on face value alone like that number i don't care who you've played i don't care how close the games have been four of five like kansas has won one game in the better part of a month and that is not a fluke well okay here's where i would push back on that so you're you're pointing out that there's no rim protector um i don't think that the difference is the rim protector because kansas is still first in big 12 in the big 12 in two-point defense that's a league that has Baylor and Texas and Baylor is one of the two best defensive teams in the country. Kansas is second in fewest fouls. They're second in rebounding um, in the months of November and December. That includes a game against Gonzaga where Gonzaga went six of 18 from three, 33%. That's not bad. Um, in November and December, they played Gonzaga and Creighton, a bunch of other teams allowed opponents to shoot 29% from three in 
January alone, eight games that November through December was eight games, 29%. January was eight games, 42.3%. Steph Curry's three point percentage for his career is 43%. And what we do know, and there's been plenty written about this, whether it's college basketball level or the NBA level, I completely agree that Kansas needs to run shooters off the three point line better. And that's the quote unquote adjustment that they can make. But at some point, guys like Eves Ponds, who are 22% three-point shooters, can't just keep making two of two um, and going 100% in every game. Like, guys, every it feels like every single person is shooting above their career rate um, against Kansas. And I don't know what the excuse is other than it's just – it is it is fluky. We know that three-point three point percentage defensively, you have little control over whether people make or miss three-pointers against you barring just that's just the way it is and you can roll your eyes and say that but i would say that for any team any team that gives up a bunch of threes unless they are wide freaking open which they're not all they are not all wide open it is a lot of very good looks off of back, like dribbling dribbling into threes guys dribbling into threes and i've the the texas game those guys shot way above their career average i don't know what to it's fluky. The fact I'm, that it keeps happening should concern you. I, I'm the fact that it's you. happened now five times. And like even teams like Oklahoma didn't shoot it better than they normally do. It's the volume that is the concern. I will almost guarantee you that number is coming down. And when it comes down, Kansas is going to win games again. Well, I would assume so too. And, and their schedule given – will get a little bit lighter. Like they've lost to good teams. All these teams have been ranked in the top 25. I'm trying to run back to the catalog. No team, no team that they've lost to is not in the top 25, except for Oklahoma state who in the latest rankings was 26 today. They were the, the team that received the most votes. I would say this, what it comes down to is Kansas is not scoring well enough. Like and you can make fun of, you can make fun of all of these things that I cite about shot quality and such, but the, the, the matter of fact is Ochai Abaji went one for nine from three. Christian Brown went over four. They had a bunch of very good three-point looks. Jalen Wilson had a bunch of open ones too. Going one for 16 shouldn't happen. And we can say what we want. And I don't like, I don't enjoy watching David McCormick play basketball, but at least he has confidence and he knows what he's going to do with the ball. The problem, the thing that concerns me way more than the, the three-point percentage that they're allowing, because I believe that that's fluky and I think that's coming down, and I would say that about any team in the country. The thing that concerns me about Kansas is guys who should have confidence in shooting the ball not having confidence, and that is Christian Brown and Jalen Wilson. Guys that shouldn't have confidence that do, like Tyon Grant Foster, who's one for 19 for the season from three and just mm-hmm. keep chucking them, that is dumb. So well, then it's on yourself not to play those guys. But he, but the problem is he has to because at some point you, at some point you've given up on winning the Big Twelve title. That's happened. At some point you are giving up on getting a one or two seed. That has happened. So what you're trying to do is figure out what works, who's going to play the hardest. It's honestly to to bring in another team that we're close to or we watch a bunch. ASU. It doesn't make a ton of sense to put Kamani Lawrence in because he's not as great of a scorer, but he does the right things. And like the TCU game earlier this week, Grant Foster came in, played great defense and was aggressive driving to the hoop. So those are the things I would just say it's, it's as bad as it has, has been pretty much anytime. And I think it's, it's gotten worse than the 2019 team um, because that 2019 team, when they wanted a basket could just go give the ball to Deidre Kloss and he would score. They didn't mm-hmm. make, they didn't make threes. They sucked at shooting threes. Um, and they would just roll over on the road. But this team, I'm I'm optimistic. I think that they will be a four or a five seed when all things are considered, all things are done. I don't know, man. I, I think the three-point shoot – I think Kansas's best option is honestly to play a five out at this point. Run people off the line, try and limit the volume of threes that people are taking, and spread out your opponent – defensively so that guys like Garrett can get downhill and attack. I think that's where they need to be at right now. I just don't know if they're going to get there. I consistently see Kansas at their best. I, it may not be sustainable to play guys like Jalen Wilson at center, but when Kansas is at their best, I feel like that's the case. And I, I, there just aren't a lot of 
answers out there to me at this point. Um, I know you're optimistic. I'm, I think it's possible that they get this back corrected. I definitely don't think they're going to fall out of the tournament. They are not one of the top 25 best teams in the country right now, though. They are because they're still good defensively. Like, you can say but what you want not, about the three point, but they aren't. They are giving up an incredible amount of threes that opponents are making. And you can say that it's fluky that it keeps happening. And I will just rebut with the fact that it's happened now in four of five games. And statistically, it's possible that that's a fluke. Yes, it is. It's statistically a very small percentage that it happens that way, but you're not winning a game with Kansas forced 13 turnovers. That's fine. They only get, they only turn the ball over seven times. If they make, a couple of those open threes from Ochai early in the game. That's a competitive game. It Sometimes, that, sometimes the sport is as simple as who makes and misses three-pointers, and that's what happened. But when it continually happens, I don't know how you can say it's a fluke. That's the point I'm making. So was it fluky when they were only giving up 29% in November and December? Because I would argue, yes, it also is fluky. All three-point percentage you give up is fluky. Okay. Yeah, no. I, I will just, die on that hill. And if 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 you hear me, if you hear me citing three point percentage as uh, as a killer against people defensively, stop me for any team because I'm anti saying that three pointers are an indicator of how bad your defense is. It's your two point defense, which they're perfectly fine at. Um, that I'm more concerned about. Let's talk about. Many, yeah, I, I just want to ask how many more games like this where you need to see before you don't think it's a fluke or are you just going to go to your grave like that? I will go to my grave thinking that three point percentage that you allow is a fluky stat. And if any team college basketball kids are not great at shooting the three pointer for you to go 10 plus games, giving up 40 plus percent from three would be a statistical anomaly. Unlike anything we've ever seen. So Let's talk about Texas Tech and LSU. That was a really fun game. That was a game where LSU was up seven with a minute left. They end up losing by five. Um, Mac McClung kind of leads the charge in a 12-0 run. He goes for He was the charge. He it was, was a charge. Yeah. charge. Um, when, when things were getting crazy, he, was, he just started – he hit a fadeaway three. He hit a, a scramble three off the air ball. You texted me, air ball doesn't mean dead ball. Um, McClung had 22, Terrence Shannon Jr. had 23 off the bench. I thought Texas Tech should have won this game before. I thought they were going to win this game. They ended up doing it. They did it in a different way than I thought. And yeah. they, sometimes they get frustrating because they drive the ball. They're so insistent on driving the ball into the paint. And I think they're a better shooting team than they give themselves credit for. Am I wrong? Yeah, I think so. I think you're right about that. I think we saw that when a, a bigger, broader-shouldered guard wants – because Texas Tech physically is not a very strong team. Um, when a guy like Javante Smart says, I'm angry, I'm tired of losing, I don't like how this has gone the last week with how they lost to Kentucky and how they lost Alabama, they can get downhill and they can score. Um, Javante Smart was marvelous in this game. Uh, Darius Days got hurt, and this didn't impact the outcome, I don't think, that much. Because at, at the point that Darius Days for LSU got injured, it was a two-point game, and LSU grew the lead from there. So you can't say him getting hurt was where it changed for LSU. Um, he gets hurt. It, it sounds like it's a leg injury, either a knee or an ankle. Will Wade said he's going to miss a couple weeks. So for LSU, not to shift the focus here, but for LSU, they're in a position now where it's like, oh, whoa, tournament may even be a question for them at this stage, uh, coming off their third straight loss. So going back to Texas Tech, though, I think this is a team that is vulnerable in, in at points defensively, but with Mac McClung playing at this level, it opens everything up because you can just count on him. Um, and I kind of want to pose a question, and that's the biggest takeaway, is that Mac McClung now, this is consistent. Four seems to be kind of my threshold. If you do something four straight times, that's legitimate. And McClung now has scored 22 points or more in four straight games. And even though Texas Tech has caught a couple losses in those games, he has been tremendous. And, and what he did at the end of this game was ridiculous. So I want to ask you, 
Do you think Matt McClung has any outside chance of winning conference player of the year, or maybe even sneaking on to first or second All-American roster? I think he has an outside outside shot at sneaking onto an All-American team largely because, I mean, we talked about it on Thursday's show. Um, the Big 12, the guard play in the Big 12 is so good, and he's one of the two or three best guards in that conference. Um, I don't think he can win conference player of the year. I, I think that to some extent, Jared Butler is going to get crowned because he's the best player in the conference. So, and to some extent he's going to get crowned because it's a lifetime achievement award. Like he's been good his entire career and this team is unreal. So he gets rewarded for that. And I have no problem with that. Um, Would at this point though, Mac McClung is probably the favorite to win conference player of the year next year. Unless you think he's back for sure. I don't think he's going to the league. I mean, he will probably declare, Maybe he does. I don't – I mean, man, he's – probably his stock is getting getting up there, but he feels like a guy who could dominate college hoops for a year. And I don't know if he is necessarily dominating this year at times. Like, he's just taking his foot off the gas because they want to give the ball to other people. But – and and I still don't think he's the best pro on this team. Like, it's Terrence no, Shannon Jr. It's is, Shannon. is the best – is the best pro on this team. Um, yeah, I would say 10% chance that Mac wins conference player of the year this year. And it would have to be because he goes into Baylor and drops 25 in a win or something like that. Right. Oh, I, and I always just come back to ask myself, man, what would this team have looked like if David Moretti had not decided because of the pandemic to just stay in Italy and turn pro and had decided to come back? Um, because you can say that there's a butterfly effect to that, and I would argue there wouldn't have been, because you're still going to get Terrence Shannon Jr., and you still were going to get the Silva and Burton. All those guys were already leaving, and McClung, all those guys were already leaving their programs regardless of the pandemic, especially when you talk about Jamarius Burton with what happened at Wichita State, and then McClung was already checked out from Georgetown because it was a dumpster fire. So I don't know if McClung picks Texas Tech if Moretti's there, though. And that's possible, and that's fairly possible. And McClung came in after Moretti had already decided to leave, so that's important to note too, I believe, right? That was the timeline there. But um, I do wonder what this team would look like with Moretti because right now I think they're going to kind of bounce around in in between that range of 15 to like 8. With Moretti, I think they're a team that's an outside national title threat. Without, I don't think so. But – if you want to talk about, and you were right when you said this about Jared Butler, he deserves to win this award because he is the best player on what might be the best team in the nation, if not of all time, potentially. If they run the gambit and win this this conference undefeated, like that is a more impressive than anything that Indiana did with that Bob Knight team. Um, I, I still argue that that Kentucky team that lost to Wisconsin – even though they lost Wisconsin, it, it makes it so that you can't really argue they're one of the greatest of all time, kind of like the Miami football team that lost to Ohio State, um, or even the Alabama team in football that lost to Clemson and Deshaun Watson. I would argue that Kentucky going potentially 40-0 and like they should have and just beating Wisconsin and Duke, which they obviously lost Wisconsin. That team obviously I think is the most impressive of the modern era, but – Jared Butler being a part of a a Baylor team that's doing what they're doing, given he's the best player on the team, he's going to win the award. If they go undefeated, if they're the number one team in the country, he's winning the award. Matt McClung doesn't have a chance. But you want to talk about the quote-unquote Heisman moments? McClung has a buzzer beater in Austin and then hits both those threes and then gets the steal on the inbounds out of a timeout. Texas Tech hits those two threes – with LSU having just gone up seven with a minute and 13 seconds left. McClung hits the first three, under a minute, hits the second three. And in the, the span of 30 seconds, LSU is then forced to call a timeout on the inbounds, out of the timeout, throw the ball away. McClung steals it. Shannon gets the lay in, and all of a sudden, Texas Tech's up. They've scored seven points in 30 seconds, and, and they win the game. And Matt McClung is the reason why. Even though he didn't hit the buzzer beater in this game, he essentially accounted for a 7-0 run in 30 seconds 
on his Reggie Miller type stuff. And, and he's had just some incredible highs in this little run of his. I really kind of almost wish he had hit the buzzer beater at West Virginia just because, wow, if he had done that. But when you want to talk about like these indelible moments that happen over the course of a season that are season changing outcomes, McClung has been directly responsible for that more so than Butler has. I think he's one of the, he's, if we wanted to do top five guys, I would pay to see play in college hoops. McClung is probably on that list. I think. Yeah. He's up there. Like he's uh, so much fun to watch. And yeah, if that, if that fadeaway, the buzzard goes down against West Virginia, we're looking at three pretty massive moments uh, that he has his handprints all over all on um, against top 15 teams and, or against, two top 15 teams and one on the road against LSU, who you're kind of stumbling as, as far as a tournament team. I think they probably, they, there's they just, right there's just too many wins out there in the sec, in my opinion, that they're going to grab some of them and sneak in as a 10. Maybe, but if the tournament started right now, they're not in. Where is there? It's the same thing with Arkansas where it's Arkansas is a pretty talented team. The record's okay, but who are they actually beat? And for LSU, when they've been thrown up against their best competition, we're talking about even as early as St. Louis in their non-conference, they've lost. And I think for LSU, if the tournament started right now, they might be out. That's a fair criticism. I mean, they get they get Alabama this week, so they get another swing at a pretty massive pinata. But Not if, if they give up an SEC record three-pointer amount like they did last time. Yeah, if they give up 23 threes again, it uh, might be – might be tough for them. Um, all right, what else do we have? We've got Baylor just smashing Auburn. Yeah, um, there's no, nothing we need to say about that. Sharif Cooper just got overwhelmed by a group of grown men, pretty much. I thought that it was uh, my one takeaway from that game, which was very elementary and very uh, – you only would laugh at it if you've watched the Big 12 growing up, was – Bruce Pearl calling timeouts down 12 with like 30 seconds left was the most vintage Scott Drew thing of all time. Because if there's anyone who's ever called timeouts in meaningless situations at the end of games, it's been Scott Drew. So I hope Scott Drew enjoyed that knowing that he wasn't the guy having to do that this time. Um, But I'm starting to love this Baylor team. I texted you on Saturday that I've gone a complete 180 on this. I'm from, I went from hoping that Scott Drew's trophy case was empty for the rest of his career to hoping that this team goes undefeated. Cause I think that they're special and they're fun to watch too. Um, And just a bunch of, bunch of old guys that really buy into stuff um, as well. Well, The the assembly of the team is incredible too. Like you were texting me about how, Jared Butler had signed his national letter of intent to go play at Alabama and go because Kyra Lewis. Right. Exactly. And then Davion Mitchell transfer from Auburn, a little revenge game for him. Shamwa Shashua is a guy that was at UNLV and really wasn't much anything and came to Baylor. And now is the starting center, a real difference maker on a really special team. Like the assembly of guys on this roster is pretty incredible and improbable to say the least, I would think. And the fact that they're doing this is a really crazy story. Um, guys like Mark Vidal and Macy Oteague, obviously, I think we're both guys that, that came to Baylor. Just a sign of their depth also that Meyer doesn't start for this team, a guy who started on their team last year and is a really good basketball player, although he may not look it. Um is like an awesome player. This team is really deep. They might even be deeper than Gonzaga, honestly. Yeah, and, and the statistic that I saw, um, Butler and Davion Mitchell each averaging 10-plus points, 5-plus assists while shooting 50% from the field. According to basketball reference, that would be the first teammates in D1 basketball to do that since 1993. Like, they, they have depth, and they have a bunch of guys who are very efficient, which makes it – hard to beat them because if you want to talk about um, uncharacteristic performances and things that would be fluky, it would be very fluky for this team to shoot um, significantly below its three point percentages when it's not like they have the Gonzaga where it's Kispert and Suggs knocking out a bunch of threes and a bunch of guys shooting 25%. Otherwise they have a bunch of guys who shoot high thirties mid thirties from three and such like that. So they're, they're not very, they're not very upsettable in my opinion. Um, 
Well, especially when you, again, you've got a guy like Meyer and then a guy like Adam Flagler who can just get you 20 whenever on the Presbyterian transfer, another transfer, by the way. Um, no, Scott Drew's done as good a job as any, because it's really hit or miss with that identifying the right guys to bring into the program on that secondary recruiting market and then developing them. He deserves all the credit in the world. And if he doesn't lift the trophy at the end of this year, for some reason, that's not an NIT championship. He's just never going to do it. Well, he's getting the big 12 regular season title. So it's a matter of, does he win the, the conference tourney? Does he win the mat, March madness? Um, I don't know how you give, I mean, coach of the year race is going to be a tough one. But I don't know how people we've we've gone from Scott Drew's not great to like, oh, he's so good that we don't even need to recognize the fact that his team's undefeated. And I understand that Mark Few's in the same boat and such, but there's other valuable candidates and stuff like that. I don't know. It's a tough award to pick. Um, I don't know who else would win it though in the league this year. I mean, maybe Long Kruger. Oh no, I was talking national coach of the year. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, I mean Jawan Howard. And Kelvin Sampson. I'm still not fully convinced on Michigan because and I don't want to get too deep into the weeds here, but Michigan still has not won any road game of consequence to this point. Yeah, they're best all these teams are new. at home. And yeah, like Michigan could definitely fall apart. That's possible. Yeah, especially after coming off of a two-week COVID pause, and we don't know what their situation is. Last uh, two or three things from the Big 12 SEC Challenge before we get to upsets from around the country. Um, Missouri beat TCU by four, 100 points in overtime. Pinson and Tillman combined for 69 points. Um, nice. And then Florida beat West Virginia, ending yep. the game on a 10-5 run, 85-80. I would say Florida. Florida is the – Firmly the third best team in the conference, I believe, and should be ranked as well. I, I ranked them this week. They got in. I think they got in the AP poll as well. I know they got into the heat check poll. Um, we're big believers in them. So I, I did write down. I think they're the third best team. But do you think Florida? I said fill in the blank. Florida is Florida is the blank best team in the SEC. Um, I think they probably are at this point. With they've won. I think it's five games in a row, four games in a row. Uh, after that pretty head-scratching loss to Mississippi State, you're wondering, when is this team going to be consistent? Because in their non-con, they had been very inconsistent um, for very fair reasons, which we all know about. I'm not going to belabor there. I think that the fact that they've gotten guys other than um, Trey Mann and Scotty Lewis to kind of step up has been what's been the difference maker. Uh, Colin Castleton was the story of this game versus West Virginia, pretty obviously. 21.7 rebounds, five blocks, um, and only 27 minutes. A guy that was from the state of Florida, went to Michigan, didn't play much his first two years, transferred back to Florida, and has been a huge difference maker. He's scoring about 13 points per game for them. And is very comfortably, I think, provided that secondary, tertiary, option um, after what happened to Keontae Johnson it was something that they needed to have happen so that's been huge and I think that you know people have questions about coach White's job status I think honestly coming into this year if they were bad again they were supposed to be all this with Kerry Blackshear last year and maybe would have not made the tournament it would have been close if they had been bad again this year I think we have to ask that question about whether or not that job comes open at the end of the year. And I think he's firmly saved his job to this point. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and to answer the question, which I don't think I did, I think they're the third best team in the conference, maybe the second. Okay. So we're in, and you, you kind of, I'm really not that high on Alabama. I'm still not like fully sold. I think you're, that's, you're, I think that's might be better than them. And I think Florida probably isn't there, but I think it, it's a, it, it's a 1A, 2A at the top of Tennessee and Bama, and a Florida as the third is getting close. Okay. And then I think Missouri is probably fourth. I, still, um, I think it might be Auburn with Sharif. There's also a case to be made there. I mean, the thing with Auburn is that they hung with Baylor for as long as they could, and then Baylor just kept wearing them down. Which, which is, is what they do to teams. Yeah. Like, 
we've seen this. Baylor has been losing at halftime a lot this year. Or like and they just wear you out in the second half. You compared it to like body blows and boxing. They seem to land more even than that. Like that it's not a, it's not a, a knockout, a straight knockout, but they get that TKO rib shot in the, the sixth round almost every game, it feels like, where they just land that. It looks even, and they land that big flurry of body shots, and it is over from there. They just go on avalanches of scoring runs at some point and then go in stretches where oh, they only allow... Like that, they're shutting you down on the other end. Yeah, so like there's stretches where they'll only allow two points in six minutes or something like that. Yeah. It's like their offense feeds their defense almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, around the country, Friday night, we saw Illinois beat Iowa. Saturday, we saw um, Wisconsin go to Penn State and lose. So upsets in the Big Ten, which one stood out to you more? And are you back on the Illinois train? I don't know if I'm fully back on the Illinois train. I think them winning at Assembly Hall would do a lot to kind of sell me again. Um they got an insane game. The game I texted you guys um, in our group chat, our college basketball group chat. I've been waiting for this game from Trent Frazier for two years as like the biggest Trent Frazier apologist on the planet. Um, and Io delivered. Frazier had 20 plus. Kofi did his thing. Limited Garza. Garza had 19, but wasn't dominant by any means. And that's what can happen to Iowa when he's not. Uh, Wieskamp was really good actually in this game again because he's always really good. I think he's Iowa's best player, but whatever. Um, I think for Illinois, it's just can Curbelo, can Kofi, can Frazier, can all their other guys consistently support Io? Because Io, by himself as an individual, I think even more so than Garza, has been as good as anybody in the country. It's just they don't always get the results because other guys can't provide. Um, that dom and, and Io doesn't have that takeover gene. He's not wired like that. Like he will put up numbers. He'll possibly impact the game on a massive level, but he doesn't always go on that nine Oh scoring run by himself where he's just taking step backs over two dudes and nailing shots. Illinois needs that. So as they mature throughout the course of the year, cause they still are a fairly young team. I think we're going to get a better picture. Now, Illinois, needs to get this one in Indiana for me to like really buy back in. But we thought Illinois was a top five, 10 team for a reason preseason. And they look more like that recently than they had. Yeah. And, and their numbers wise, they never really faltered. Like they never have fallen out of yeah, the they just lost games. Yeah. They've, they've lost games, but most of the time it's been because other people have had like Ohio state had an absurd shooting day in Champaign, I think two weeks ago. And so, and, and now we're finding out Ohio state is a solid top 12 team in the country and stuff, stuff like that. So I would say that the interesting thing about IO and the interesting thing about this Illinois team is mostly to IO and Trent Frazier is they, they have an interesting way of just speeding up big 10 games, which is really hard to do. Yeah. Um, and we've we've been plenty we've been plenty supportive of minnesota and such but even minnesota allows itself to get slowed down at times and get really half courty and illinois pushes the pace regardless of opponent um they've been they've been good in that that respect um it's just odd to see such great um guard play dominate um, especially from an athletic guard who probably has a future in the NBA in that conference, but it's been fun to watch. Um, Wisconsin, you know what we think about Wisconsin, them losing to Penn State. I think it says more about Wisconsin than it does about Penn State because I think that it, it just shows that on almost any given night, that they, they can get beat by a relatively average team. Somewhere like teams between 50 and 100 in the country can beat Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, again, it comes down to if you're going to make some threes and if you can get the game out of a half court setting and push the pace, Wisconsin's highly vulnerable. Um, and they, they can't really score with people in track meets. They don't win a lot of games when their opponent scores 75 plus. 
Um, and I'm just looking through their schedule right now. I don't know if they have one. They've won one game where their opponent scored 75 plus against Michigan State. Michigan State scored 76. And that's the only time that, that that's happened this year, at least by my count. So that kind of is the threshold. If you can push the tempo and make some threes and turn them over a couple times, you can beat Wisconsin. It, again, it's the turtle analogy. Might be kind of hurt, hard to hurt a turtle when you're hacking at its shell, but if you can flip it over, you can outmaneuver it pretty easily. And, and that's kind of where Wisconsin is. Um, I, again, I wouldn't be surprised if the bracket sets up the right way and they play the right way if they make the Elite Eight. Um, but right now, it's not a team that I'm overly convinced by. Which they are the case all year. They are not a team that I want to see play Baylor or Gonzaga. Like I think, no. I think that they would get absolutely suffocated by both teams. Um, but they can match up with anybody else in the country. And I think that uh, I think Wisconsin versus Alabama, as good like as is interest that as as much as that sounds like a football matchup, um, in the first weekend of or the first day of college football playoff, it would be a fantastic contra- contrast of styles in college hoops. Mm-hmm. Um, that is kind of the weekend roundup. In terms of scheduling news, we're going to talk a little bit about the bubble and then get into week two of making a champion. Mark Few said after Saturday and after Gonzaga put another can of, of whooping on Pepperdine that Gonzaga was trying to get through this game to see if they could schedule a non-conference game. So who in your ideal world does Gonzaga schedule in this next couple of weeks. And I think I know who you're going to say, and I'm going to be relatively anti that idea. Well, I mean, yeah, the obvious answer, I, I kind of would like to see them still play Baylor, but I understand why it would, if they both can go undefeated, I would rather have two undefeated teams play for a national title. Yes. I don't know if that will happen. Um, and then if that's not the case, you know, no, I think it'd be really cool for us to have that narrative available to us to say, hey, we've seen them play before. This is what it looks like. Because the rematch never looks the same as the first go around in these types of things. It just doesn't um, on these championship settings. Otherwise, I, I would like to see Gonzaga maybe go grab Michigan. I don't think it's possible, but if it could happen, that would be cool. It'd be a cool litmus test for Michigan to see how good they actually are. Um, I'm just trying to think of the other teams, Villanova, since Villanova hasn't had much to uh, go on in terms of validating how great they actually are. I think that would be good too. I just, for that middle tier of good teams, I think it would be nice to see Gonzaga play them to see how good those teams that we're not so certain of actually are. Yeah, I would be relatively anti-Gonzaga playing Baylor at this point just because I think if I'm Baylor and I just took a little bit of time, which everyone did, to play an SEC opponent, that's no different than the rest of the conference. If I'm adding another non-conference game while I'm in pursuit of going undefeated against one of the strongest uh, fields of Big 12 teams ever, um, there's just no way I'm, I'm doing that. So – if I'm being, if I'm putting my like athletic director hat on and I'm being realistic, I think Gonzaga needs to find somebody on the West Coast, which means I think they need to play UCLA, San Diego State, UCLA, or Arizona. Those are the three teams that I would circle because like Arizona, you got nothing. You know, you're not making the NCAA tournament. If you can find an open spot here to play Gonzaga and you somehow get them and they go on to win the national title, you can you can go feather in your cap. We also we didn't play in the SLA tournament, but we beat the national champs. If if they're in that position, also couldn't theoretically because it's a self-imposed ban. The only one holding them to that is them. Could they say, ah, maybe let's reconsider? You know, I think they're fine with next year. We beat Gonzaga. They're, they're gonna be they're gonna be top ten good next year, though. Like they're getting so. Arizona's getting all these guys back, Akinyo all of these uh, European kids that have kind of gotten adjusted to college basketball to Bellas and such, they're going to be, they're going to be really good next year. So um, that's, that's what I think. It'll just be interesting to see if Gonzaga can find anybody. Cause if not, like they basically just admitted we're bored with our conference. We're tired of winning by 30. We want to play a real. Well, they, should, they, should, they, they need to leave the WCC. 
Like it, it's time. It's just it, it like join the American. Well, join something. The pack uh, the Pac twelve. I mean that there's a lot of reasons why that won't happen, but they need to leave the WC. It, it is at that point. It is too easy for them. I would love to see them in the Mountain West. Just, I mean, the Mountain West isn't that big a step up. It's going to Utah State, going to Boise State, going to San Diego State, going to Colorado State is significantly tougher than playing Pepperdine Pacific. Almost certainly win the league every year. I'd like to see them go join the American. I mean, I know that's a lot of travel. It is also 2021 and you have the means technologically and financially to do it you'd make more money being in a bigger league with a bigger conference tournament TV deal. Geographically, the travel, Gonzaga to like USF, UCF would be... Yeah, it'd be a long, it'd be a long way. It'd be brutal. They're never doing that. I mean, eight hours on a plane ain't that bad, all I'm saying. We'll see. But okay, let's get to our first edition of Bubble Talk. Um, there's a lot to go into here. We... I. I compiled the latest which was the 29th which was this past friday so obviously not including um what happened this weekend from jerry palm of cbs joe lenardi of espn i also want to talk about the missouri valley because i think right now they're honestly in the best case scenario um with what has gone down in their league but here's where we stand as of or here's where we stood as of friday jerry palm in the last four in had north carolina VCU, Stanford, and Arkansas. His first four out was Wichita State, Utah State, Loyola, Chicago, Syracuse. Lenardi had Seton Hall, Stanford, Maryland, and Colorado State in his last four in. His first four out was Richmond, Loyola, Chicago, Providence, and VCU. That was before Loyola won by 40-plus again this weekend um, against a solid Missouri State team, which if we want to talk about guys going for 50, 40, and 90 like Corey Kispert is, Isaiah Mosley on Missouri state is doing the same thing. Um, I understand it's against a smaller league, not on as great, great of a team, but if, if we're talking great individual performers in college hoops, Isaiah Mosley at Missouri state has been great. What on the bubble has your eye? Um, I know you wrote down a couple other interesting teams, but from what they are providing and what you're seeing, what is of note for you? Uh, the entire a 10, VCU is a little bit better than expected. So is Davidson, both competitive. Um, Dayton probably isn't making the dance unless they go on some kind of run. St. Louis, what do you do with them, having had them miss all their conference games? And then, of course, Richmond, who's got two inexplicable conference losses, but was a team that we thought was going to be a top 25 caliber team and didn't win at Rupp um, this year. I want to see what comes out of that, if it's one team, if it's two teams. Uh, I would like to see Richmond in the tournament but they've put themselves in a pretty precarious situation. I would love to see Jalen Crutcher in the tournament, but Dayton honestly probably isn't good enough to deserve that unless Crutcher is getting 30 a game, which hurts my heart, but that's the case when you have this all-time team and then lose three of five starters and do nothing to replace them. Um, So there's that. Arkansas fascinates me. I guess LSU now too what they can do to improve their tournament standing because they're good teams with Arkansas. Again, it's just like, man, Isaiah Joe and Mason Jones had come back with the guys that they have Vanover now being eligible, man, what a team that would have been would have been really fun to see them try and uh, that could have been a top 10 caliber team with those two guys back. Um, But they're fighting for their lives right now. And then the two big ones to me, I think that Kentucky's probably out of there unless they win the SEC tournament. Duke, two huge wins for them in a row at home. Um, I'm fascinated to see where they go, if they're actually getting better. Um, They lost three straight road games. They won two straight home games. So we'll see where they're at. Michigan State, is there any way that they can, like, figure this out and sneak back into the tournament? I have no idea. They would have to get hot, but there are opportunities to get wins out there in the league. Um, And then, you know, you look around the country and and those are kind of the ones that really are standing out to me. The other one would be Georgia Tech because 
Tech is a team that's gotten some big wins. They're a really competent team. They're a really competitive team. And it's a team with a big legacy of success. There are a lot of programs around the country that you would be kind of shocked to know were like elite at one point. Georgia Tech and Wake Forest are the two at the top of that list for me. I would like to see Georgia Tech back in the tournament. That would be cool. I think the Duke point is interesting. We're going to get the first game between Duke and North Carolina this upcoming weekend that doesn't include either team being ranked for the first time since 1960. Um, I think Pitt is on the bubble. I would venture to guess that Justin Champagny is one of the most interesting players in terms of uh, guys that taking bad losses though. Yeah. And that's why, that's why they're on the bubble. Cause they have a couple in important, um, interesting performances. I don't understand how Stanford is on the bubble. Yeah. Um, I don't get it either. I don't, I don't get that. They've beaten Arizona twice. Um, they beat UCLA. They beat Alabama in non-conference. That should count for something. Um, not even just beating Alabama. They beat them by 18. Um, but to go to the point of the Missouri Valley, because both of these guys, I would assume they'll move Loyola Chicago into the bracket after this, this weekend. But the Missouri Valley getting Drake ranked uh, 25th in the AP poll this week, if they, if they can get Drake to hang on and be ranked when Loyola um, plays them next two weekends from now, um, that's massive because if Loyola goes in and beats Drake both times, Loyola almost assuredly will get ranked. And if Loyola can get to the NCAA, you get to the Arch Madness tournament ranked and, and continually show that they're a top 25 caliber team. If Drake can pull off the upset there, then maybe that can be a two bid league, but either way, I think they're getting a team that's going to be a 12 or 11 seed. And if it's Loyola, Loyola might be one of the most, overqualified or like scariest mid-major 11 seeds ever like they they do everything correctly they defend you so well they don't turn the ball over much they shoot the three well they shoot more than 50 percent from the field as a team i'm high on loyola not as high on drake because drake's best win is k-state as you've pointed out a bunch of times um but the fact that both that Loyola is still out of the bracket as of now is just mind-boggling to me. Yeah, I mean, the Missouri State win for Drake might somehow be better than Kansas State, but then you see what Loyola did to them, and I just don't see – I don't think Drake's making the tournament. I don't. I don't either. Resume is going to be paper thin, especially they play, they're going to play Loyola on a back-to-back. If they don't split that at least – if they don't win their conference tournament, they're just not making it. And Loyola is going to have all the benefactors of the Ken Palm numbers and all those things involved. And I just, I don't buy Drake. I think it's a really good story, but again, they did this a couple of years ago. They started 13 or 14 and 0 or whatever, and did not make the tournament because they hadn't played anybody yet. And they still have not played anybody yet. Their best win is at Kansas state. Kansas state lost worse than they did in terms of margin. To, to Drake, to Fort Hayes State, D2 Fort Hayes State. So I'm just going to leave that there. Drake doesn't have my interest until they play Loyola and we see what they look like there. Yeah, we'll see. Um, Michigan State, I'm – yo, Tom, the, the joke's up. Yeah, the it's time. It's time to stop. turn it on. The Get a little worried. Stop. You put up 37 <laughs> points against Rutgers. It's time to go. Which – that was fresh off the COVID pause, losing by 30, but 37 points. I think it was the lowest amount of points uh, an Izzo team had ever scored, which is just incredible. But, um, man, that those Michigan State-Duke games from the Champions Classic, wow. Like, really, really uh, led us in a different direction than what, we, what we've ended up with. Um, Duke beating Georgia Tech was a good win. Beating the doors off Clemson, I – I know Clemson has a great resume um, from the start of the year, but Clemson's They're kind falling of falling fast. Too. Yeah. They got a backpack full of bricks attached to them. They're sinking quick. Yeah. And literally because they don't, they don't make shots. Um, it's, it's tough to watch them offensively. Hard to win basketball games when you don't make shots. I've been trying to say that all day. I've been trying to say that all year. 
squad. All right, let's close this thing out. Making a champion week two and scholarships and sanctions. I will start with making a champion. The second criteria, um, it was the second criteria last year. It remains the second criteria this year is that every national champion since 1986-87, which was the first year of the three-point line, has shot better than 32.9% from three-point range. So teams were making the cuts for this week. I just talked them up. I think they're an NCAA tournament team. I don't think they're a national contender. Stanford, 31.4%. They're not good enough. Kentucky, they have a couple first-round picks on their roster, so they made the first cut. They all make the second. They shoot 29% now. Arizona State does not make the cut. North Carolina does not make the cut. Memphis does not make the cut. And sadly, David Duke and the Providence Friars also do not make the cut. Bad loss this week. Very bad loss for Providence, um, which leaves us with Gonzaga, USC, Texas, Duke, Arkansas, UConn. Shout out, James. Let's go. Let's go. Louisville, Florida State, Tennessee. If think, hey, if you think you can't, UConn. <laughs> Florida State, Tennessee, Texas Tech, Illinois, LSU, Auburn, West Virginia, Miles McBride, you got to play a little bit better than you did against Florida, Baylor, Kansas, Villanova, Virginia, Marquette, Oregon, Michigan, and Oklahoma State, who would have missed the cut last week, but a couple made shots from three, and they got above the cut line. So um, the only team that is a top 25 team in Ken Palm that is below 32.9% from three is the Houston Cougars. Weird, weird. Because Houston is, I think, very quietly just still just dominating. And they dismantled the second best team in their league in SMU over the weekend. They're tied for the second best start in school history. I think there's a very good chance we see Houston end up on the one line. Like a very good chance, personally. I picked them to go to the final four. So, yes, you did. Credit to you. Yes, you did. Yeah. Um, very different story than when you picked Washington to do the same last year. <laughs> um, all right. So, are we ready for scholarships and sanctions then? We are. High-level analysis of the teams that are left. You can start off. Okay. Scholarship. Um, this one goes out to Matt Norlander of CBS. He uh, wore a dress shirt with the collar unbuttoned and the tie loosened up to uh, make a little tribute to John Chaney, the Temple basketball coach who passed away this week, which I thought was really cool. So scholarship to Matt Norlander. Um, that was a very nice note, um, a very nice uh, idea by Norlander to do that. Um, do you remember Do you remember Ron Hunter? Yeah, of course. The, the great Tulane basketball coach who fell off his chair when he was at Georgia State. Yeah, so I'm glad that you remember that he fell off his chair because Jim Beheim did a Ron Hunter impression, uh, just a very casual drive to the li- to the rim and and one for Buddy Beheim, and Jim Beheim fell off his chair celebrating. <laughs> Shout out Syracuse, actually like more competitive than anticipated this year. Yeah, the zone is getting back to it this week. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So that's my scholarship to Jim Beheim for uh, being. A great father, I guess. Hmm. Okay, positive vibes uh, today because I've got another scholarship. A scholarship to Dom Stern for the tweet. Quote, <laughs> Big 12 basketball, it just means more. And it woke up the SEC, I tell you what, because they rattled off three in a row and won the SEC Big 12 challenge for only the second time ever the SEC did. And it, it's because of Dom Stern. So Asterisk. It also, that tweet was sent with TCU up on Mizzou, like I think 12 points with mm-hmm. five minutes to go. And just it woke him up. I'm telling you. Choke. Xavier yeah. Pinson just started draining threes as soon as that tweet went, went out. Um, my sanction goes to the ACC conference for making Boston College play against Florida State this week, uh, despite only having four scholarship players. That's a joke. And I would like to ask you. Do you think that they would make Duke or North Carolina play with only four scholarship players? Uh, no. Do you think that Coach K would show up for a game with only four scholarship players? Probably not. Probably not. Um, but that said, Boston College is Boston College. And last time I checked, they don't have Jared Dudley anymore, which makes him pretty irrelevant. So, yeah. Fair point. Four scholarship players or not, it's not worth – harming florida state's conference standing by them not getting to play a game 
Yeah, I would say Florida State harmed its conference standing by losing Georgia Tech this weekend. But yeah, maybe Georgia Tech's good. Shout out Pastor. Competent. Competent. Yeah. Shout out Josh. You got anything else? That's it. All right. Very good show. Uh, once again, thank you for listening. Thursdays, we are on blazeradioonline.com. You can also find those Thursday episodes right here on the podcast feed, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get it. Like, rate, review, subscribe. Thank you for listening to Heat Check. We will see you next time. Sunday or Monday, you know that we flex. You can never make it more obvious. You checking for the heat, that's cold. That's cold, that's cold. Headed to the top of the top of this. You can never reach these hoes. Up in the booth and we spin the truth. Aye. We inspire the youth and we get to the loop. You do what it does and we do what it do. We turn to the max and they got you on mute. Ooh, flow so high so you know Aye. I had to run a bag. Blazes a ball and we running like a running back. Gabe brought chalk so you know Aye. we having fun with that. Turn you into up so you know Aye. it ain't no coming back. Now we done with that.